1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm Callie Smith, host of today's episode. I'm delighted to welcome Mike Morawski to talk about his book, Museums as Agents of Change, A Guide to Becoming a Changemaker. In this book, Morawski invites museum workers at all levels to recognize their potential as changemakers. There are over 30,000 museums in the United States. To put this in perspective, there are about half as many Starbucks nationwide. Each museum, Murawski writes, has the potential to take action, dismantle their own systems of oppression, build a more equitable future, and be those places that bring people together and change people's lives. This book is full of great ideas and motivating examples of museums doing good in the world and is relevant to anyone interested in institutional and personal change. Mike Murawski, welcome to the show.
2: Oh, it's so great to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me on.
1: Um, so I thought we would start by taking a cue from your book and you write that you have started beginning your meetings with a personal check-in. And so I wondered if we might just uh, give our listeners a taste and maybe have you model what that what that check-in looks like. It sounds simple, but there's many tips in this book that they're simple, but that's what makes them so impactful.
2: yeah, i'm I'm really glad to sort of start that way and that you mentioned that because I think it is um, you know, there's so many simple ways to, like, remember that when we're in a work environment, you know, be a museum or really anywhere, <clears throat> that we are, like, whole complex people. And I think for too long, like, we sort of take <laughs> a lot of our identity and sort of, you know, check it at the door when we come into a workplace. And I think museums have, you know, have certainly been like that, Um And so I think for a while, it's just been really important strategy for me to do different versions of like check-ins, access check-ins, personal check-ins. And I still do them in in workshops that I lead because we get to know each other and you might be coming into a space, you know, um, and you're, you just have been experiencing a lot outside of that. It helps people build empathy with each other, understand each other um, and learn how to support each other in better ways. Um, So for me, (laughs) in terms of entering our space today, um, you know, I think my family went through COVID the last few weeks. So I'm coming into this space, you know, not only just coming out of that sort of you know, I don't know, an exhausting few weeks, I think a little bit, although everyone's fine. So that's good. Um, But also, as you'll hear from my voice, like a little bit of a lingering cough um, into this space. Um, But on the flip side of that, I'm super excited. Today is the day we're recording this on the day that's halfway between winter solstice and spring equinox. So we're like on our way. you know, like celestial journey as the earth, you know, transitions, you know, here in the Northern Hemisphere, at least from, you know, winter into spring. So, I'm, and, you know, and we'll talk more about some of the, you know, nature-based work that I do, but that really connects me with, you know, some of these larger, you know, transitions and changes that happen from season to season. And that always just like gets me so excited. So I kind of have that energy as well. COVID can't knock that out. So
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, we're talking about like planet scale, (laughs) the cosmos, COVID can't that.
2: No, not at all. Um, And I should extend the same, you know, I think it's important to extend the same question to you. Like, how are you? How are you? And and sort of, you know, what's going on as you sort of enter the space that we're sharing today?
1: Yeah, I like, it makes sense now that you said that we're entering this time of transition because this week has been wild. It's been so busy. It's been kind of every emotion in many ways like Mm -hmm. times of just great energy uh this is a really energetic and exciting part of the week talking with you also just really tired in some ways too so it's just it's a lot going on and actually tomorrow is my dissertation defense so it's a big moment in my life so i'm i'm looking forward to that and um time of transition and so and mostly just feeling a lot of gratitude you know i think in times of like good or bad you really see who rallies around you and and celebrates or feels with you. And um, so I'm really moved by kind of the outpouring from my friends and and family.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, congratulations. And yeah, yay. like celebrate that. That's amazing. So <laughs> thanks for sharing.
1: Yeah, no, thank you. That was a wonderful way to begin. Um, and I think also too, you know, yesterday I was actually in a job interview. It was another thing that happened this week. And one of the questions was... Um, what kind of relationship do you want to have with coworkers? And I think that idea of the personal check in and always, you know, personal and professional are kind of set up as binaries. So I really like that in your book, you emphasize there is a way to do this in different types of spaces, even between strangers. Like you and I haven't met before this, but um, it added a lot of warmth to this experience.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, and I think, you know, one of the things that I think it helps support too is it really does align with a lot of the movements around equity and accessibility. I mean, if people can feel comfortable and open with each other sharing, you know, like, you know, a lot of things that we just don't see when people come into a room. And so like we can better support each other on a team um, and just be more human with each other. Um, and that's, and that's, Part of the professional context, like you, said, I love that. Yeah, there, there's always been this like personal-professional divide, and we've, and we've got to get rid of that. That's just so outdated and so old. So, yeah, that's just been so important to me.
1: I love it. Um, well, let's go ahead and get started with the book. It has such a um, inviting and colorful cover. Um, I read an ebook copy, but even that, every time I went to open it up, I was like, oh, it's just this bright, you know, energizing cover of the book, um, and you know it you deliver all the way with that energy. You maintain it in each chapter with um, just great insights. Um, you include uh, interviews, so it's not just your voice. You also kind of model this conversational, dialogue-based approach to change. Um, and really a fundamental um, idea that you you speak to is more of a human-centered and even planet-centered approach to museums. They're not just buildings with objects. Um, you really advocate for a, like, a human centered shift in museums. So, can you speak more about that idea and why it's so crucial?
2: Yeah, yeah. That I think that probably, maybe more than anything else, especially now. You know, I, I wrote you know the book mostly pre-pandemic, and then was able to kind of go back. Well, it was interesting because I went back through all the chapters after, you know, the pandemic kind of changed all of our lives and changed museums, I think, you know, really in a major way. And I remember going back through the chapters thinking, I'm going to have to rewrite this. And then I read through all this and I'm like, no, it's more relevant than ever. (laughs) And this idea of, you know, how can we be more human? How can we be more human-centered? How can we focus on people and relationships? It felt and has continued to feel so, like, important, like, this is, this is the work that we need to be thinking about. Um, and, and, it, and it comes out of, you know, working in museums for, you know, 15 years, and really, you know, a, a just feeling like they, you know, institutions like museums are so object-focused, they're so collection-focused, and that's kind of coming out of, you know, the traditions of, of where museums kind of, you know, where they started, why they were created, you know, to kind of be boxes of <laughs> collections and objects um, and kind of oddities and things like that. And and I think just through my own experiences, but then trying to figure out, like, what are we trying to do with these institutions? Like, they're educational, right? They're, you know, we've seen over the last, you know, certainly you know, 20 to 30 years, a greater focus on like, how do we connect with local communities? How do we serve audiences in different ways? Um, And how do we broaden those audiences and those communities that are connecting with our institutions? And that's all about people. So I really started to feel like, look, we've got to talk more about this. We've got to understand that, you know, museums are, they're not object centered. We shouldn't think of them that way. It it doesn't mean that like objects aren't important and collections aren't important, but maybe like what would happen if we prioritized people? Mm-hmm. first and foremost, over everything else. And I and I say people, I mean, you know, the people that work at museums, the people who volunteer there, the people who walk in the door, maybe people who haven't, you know, field trip students, all these, you know, people who are members, donors, like there's such a wide community of people, people who are connected to objects, you know, in their collections. There's such a network of, of communities and people that are related to museums. Um, and so I just thought like, look, museums are really, made of people. They're not made of objects. And if we start to flip our mindset and think that way, it can lead to a whole different perspective on what museums are for, how we operate them, how we engage with them in our own, you know, in our own work. Um, And so for me, that was like the big focus of the book is like, we need to start sharing this more. And then how do we become change makers to make more ze- museums more human-centered, more community-centered spaces? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's just such a core. And that, you know, since writing the book, um, it's now been a couple of years or a few years um, since like writing most of it. Um, that is the one thing that I think resonates the most and has continued to sort of be, you know, connected to my work is this idea of human-centered change and you know community-centered change.
1: I love that. And as you were talking, I was thinking about you said getting the whole museum involved. And I think across departments, there are some that are more human-centered historically than others, especially you come from a museum education background um, for several years. I've been working in museum education and that's pretty people-centered. You know, you're giving tours, you're with people, Um, but then, you know, like curatorial development, they're more like object-centered. So it's really interesting to kind of get the whole Team on board with this idea of being a people-centered place. Does yeah. that seem,
2: yeah, and, Yeah, for, yeah for, it sounds like a radical change for some areas, but like I feel like it's just when I've talked to you know I've worked with people in some cases for a very long time, and in some cases like just in a short you know um, you know doing a workshop and I'm connecting with people for just a couple hours, um, people. Like it feels like a radical change when you hear it, but then even, you know, I've had curators and development staff attend workshops or collect people who are like literally like behind the scenes and collections. And they're like, people-centered, what are you talking about? And then all of a sudden, (laughs) you know, after after just thinking through this and reflecting on it and learning what this means, you know, they're like, oh yeah, like that, it feels like it just feels right. It feels human. It feels more like that's the way we should have been doing it all along. And so I really love that about it is people have these like light bulb moments um, and they're like, oh yeah, like it has always felt a little weird for museums to exist in this kind of weird um you know, object centered, collection centered way, <clears throat> but like, you know, curators I've worked with, you know, it's, it's obviously becoming a really important part of their practice these days to understand that, you know, objects are connected to communities, you know, and that's, you know, the best example of that are objects that come from indigenous communities. You know, museums are doing a lot of work now to, you know, work on repatriation making sure objects can be returned to their communities of origin. <clears throat> I think that's a good example of like how, Just because you have an object in your collection doesn't mean like there aren't all of these people that you know are impacted potentially harmed by the fact that you have that object so if we focus on the people and the relationships first and foremost like it really changes the way curators work, the way that collection staff work, and yeah, and I think you're right. Education has often been very people centered, so it it often feels like it's maybe a little easier to start from you know some of the some of the staff or some of those areas of museums when thinking about this. But I do believe it's just institution wide.
1: That's wonderful, and I know recently um, this would be a great time maybe to talk about. Your work with super nature adventures and extending beyond, you know, I think one critique potentially, and you acknowledge this in a recent talk with the human centered approach is that we're maybe a little too human centered, the Anthropocene, human impact on the climate and the world. Um, So can you talk about kind of merging the human and the planet approach to like your planet centered work with the super nature adventures?
2: Yeah, I really appreciate kind of asking about that because it's something that um, as I, you know, left full-time employment um, from museums, uh, I've just really focused my time on a lot of place-based learning, a lot of environmental education, nature-based learning. It's always been such a passion of mine. Um, and actually, so my my spouse and partner, um, Brenna Campbell, and I started Super Nature Adventures about six years ago, and it's been on this journey Um, And right now, just working with working with clients to really, you know, connect people to build and in some cases, like rebuild um, connections with with nature, with the outdoors, with the land um, and with places and like the histories that have happened in, you know, a lot of these places that we just don't stop and think about and question and wonder about um, or even just don't slow down and notice, you know, leaves and plants. And I was just mentioning earlier, you know, all the seasonal changes. Um, And I think even just working, you know, in this area of kind of nature education and place-based learning has gotten me to pay attention to the movement of the sun, the plant, like we just saw some of the first new budding plants in one of the nearby parks. Um, And it's like, oh yeah, I'm slowing down and paying attention to that now. Um, And so it's just, it's been so great to work in that area and to be sort of thinking about um, the planet. Um, And yeah, it was, it was really interesting when I was talking about, you know, a human centered approach to museums and someone who was obviously really thinking from an environmental perspective was like, well, that really sounds like what we're not trying to do. And I was like, that's a great question. But I think the way that I'm bringing a human centered approach in is bringing in things like compassion, empathy, Kindness, love, and care. And when humans practice those things and we bring those things to our work and our plan, you know, on our planet and our lives, like holistically, then we're taking care of the planet, right? Like if we think about care as a core value, We should be implementing that in everything we do, um, not just like one little area of museum practice or something. So I do think the two interrelate, but it really helped me make sure that I'm making those connections more and have been certainly merging a lot of that work that I'm doing um, together more so that instead of like museum practice feeling separate from some of the environmental practice that I'm working on, the two are really coming together to think about place, institutions, communities um, in a much more sort of integrated way, I think.
1: I love that. And, you know, we can't escape the human. We are humans, you know, so I like what you're saying, you know, the best of us, hopefully from a place of care, from a place of awareness and compassion. um, That's how you can really bring those two things together, kind of more of an environmental approach. Um, And I want to say you you illustrate as well. So in addition to writing, you also as part of this uh, illustrate nature guides and how do yeah. you characterize what what those uh, documents are
2: yeah so through the the work that that um that my partner and I do we yeah we're really doing a lot of um sort of design and content work with nature nonprofits, outdoors nonprofits, but also like schools, government agencies. We started working with museums recently, which is why we're sort of thinking like, you know, all this is connected, like we should really bring this all together. And that's been so rewarding. But um, yeah, so I do now, I guess for, oh my gosh, like maybe six, seven years now have been really doing a lot of illustration work. And it's been fun because, you know, like I love making drawings that will help they're often designed for, you know, kids and families. Um, but I think it anyone, it helps us, you know, make a connection with nature to start to learn, you know, uh, not about like the Latin names and all that stuff. That's great. If people want to dig that deep into stuff. Um, <laughs> but like, if you're walking through the forest, like, you know, it'd be nice, like, let's, let's learn about you know our, these, these tree friends that we have, let's learn more about, you know, sort of, you know, how they live, how they thrive, um, and what's going on within those forest ecosystems and kind of basic, you know, building block ways. And so the illustration I do kind of, you know, just has fun ways to sort of, you know, get us to stop and think about, you know, trees are habitats for all kinds of, you know, plants and animals, we can look up in the tree canopy and learn about things, we can look at the ground and see cones and leaves and, you know, all kinds of, you know, insects and but so many times people go on hikes, they're just like, oh, I've got to hike to the top of a mountain, <laughs> or at least <laughs> where I live in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and it's about like getting there. But I think one of the things that we talked about a lot when we started, you know, thinking about this place-based learning business was, you know, it's not really about getting there, it's about being here. And taking the time to sort of really connect with nature. And I think getting back to sort of the, you know, sort of this planet centered approach and really thinking about, you know, even, you know, our responsibility with climate change and and helping save the planet, people are way more likely to, you know, protect something if they feel connected to it. And so I think all these little connections that we're making, you know, have this big greater goal, greater outcome, which is, which is great. And I think, you know, again, all of these things that I'm saying connect over to practices within museums, nonprofits, mm-hmm. you know, cultural organizations, all those things. So it's it's also interconnected.
1: I think this would be a great time to talk about your discussion surrounding community, uh, right? Because beyond the walls of the museum, which a lot of your work now involves, Um, is really this larger scale um, kind of community approach and also how the word community is used. Um, And and I don't wanna use the word abused either, but in a way you talk about how it's been kind of overused to the point of setting up this, the community is outside and we are the museum. So we are us, the museum, and they are the community. (laughs) And it's always about like reaching the community, serving the community meeting the community's needs. Um, So can you speak a little bit about um, this word and some of the things we can take away from your discussion of it?
2: Yeah. I mean, I I think certainly when I was, you know, getting, you know, starting to write this book, it was being, it was like, it was like a new thing or, you know, community (laughs) is not a new word, right? If it's been used for a long, long time, but within, you know, like, you know, um, funding organizations and, you know, professional associations and kind of a lot of these things. We were just, I was seeing the word community being used. There was one like two page report I remember reading and it was used like 38 times and they never defined what it was. And I was like, okay, like we've got to really unpack what this is. And and Nina Simon, who I, you know, is a mentor of mine and is a like amazing museum person. And also now is like writing fiction books and doing amazing things. Um, And I interviewed her in my book. Um, One of the things that she has always said is you know when people say community they kind of mean like everybody who's not visiting our museum like all those people out there like kind of like how you said um and that's really problematic because if we really think about and in my book i kind of get into like how what does community mean how do we start to think like one of the questions i often ask people in workshops is what communities do you belong to like, as an individual. And it's like, oh, well, all of a sudden, we're talking about a whole bunch of different groups that I feel belonging within, or that I feel, like, you know, comfort within. And so we start to understand community um, in a much more complex way, I think. Um, And then there's communities that, like, we get placed into, we may not be able to control, you know, based on sometimes identity, or ethnicity, or geography, you know, we don't, we, we are in a place or we come from a place um, and we're labeled into those communities. So it's it's a complicated concept that I felt like just needed more understanding and more uh, sort of unpacking. And I think some of the things that um, f- for me have sort of helped me define community a little better, um, and I was just working with um, some museums in Germany that were really trying to think more um, you know, think a lot more about this as they were approaching, you know, what does it mean to be a community-centered museum? Um, And so we worked through like, okay, so place is important, like where you are, it is an important part of how you define your community. Um, And so museums, I think, you know, need to spend a lot more time, you know, thinking about who's visiting, who isn't visiting, where are we located? What are the aspects and, and sort of assets of this place that we exist? And I challenge institutions to do that, even if they're, you know, like getting a lot of tourist visitors, like, yeah, but you're still located in a place. So understand that. Um, I think equity is a big part of these conversations. You know, if we're thinking about who isn't visiting, why, what are the histories of, you know, oppression or, you know, discrimination um, and exclusion that have led to your institution not connecting with certain community, certain local communities? Um, and how do you sort of start that process or maybe, you know, expand and amplify that process? <laughs> um, and then lastly, like what you mentioned is this breaking down this divide between museum and community or us versus them. I think I still get my, I still get stuck in that language sometimes because it's so pervasive, but this idea that like the community is external to the museum, but really when it comes down to it, everyone, this is where I think this people-centered approach and human-centered approach, you know, is important. Everyone who works in the museum or volunteers there or, you know, is also part of communities. So, so we often will look outside the museum to connect with, you know, those people or those communities. But what we don't often recognize is like, there are members of those communities working right here within our walls. Um, and we're not, we're not treating them as members of communities. So I think bringing those two together and understanding like it's, it's not an us them equation. It's like a we, we kind of thing. You know, we're all in this together in terms of defining communities and understanding them in a more complex way.
0: This episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com. It's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Um,
1: I like, again, you know, the subtitle for your book is A Guide to Becoming a change maker, And it seems like, again and again, part of that guide to becoming one is, is self-reflection and something as simple as like, oh, what communities do you belong to? And just that shift, I was like, oh yeah, because when you're working in the museum setting, like you said, you're often thinking outside and not really of the self, but like those communities out there. <laughs> um, but it is again, a really humanizing moment to reflect. Um, and I like that you include those by choice, that you join by choice, but also communities that you are placed into. And I think um, I'm glad that you bring equity into this conversation as well, because that's another word like community uh, that gets used a lot, almost um, to the point of really flattening out uh, what it means and what it's really striving towards. Um, so I appreciate you mentioning those things.
2: Yeah, and I think one one phrase or expression that has driven. A lot of my thing and still is really important in terms of my thinking about the role of community with museums is this idea of um like how can we be changed by community? Um like it's a bell, that's like a bell hooks, um, you know, and amazing activist and author um, and thinker, Um, this idea of being changed by community, it comes out of, you know, hooks. And I think it's really powerful because it's like, oh, like, okay, so you sort of said like the language is around like museum serving communities or museum providing some value for communities. But what if we flip that equation? Like what if instead of museums providing a service to communities or providing value to communities, we're actually looking to communities to see what can they contribute to museums? What can community members um, and our local community do to shape our institutions? Can we start to let go of some of you know traditional notions of authority and start to listen more? and bring more people in, in different ways. So I think there's a lot of powerful things that can happen there, um, you know, as well as just as just the sort of like, I don't know, sometimes thinking about the word community starts to feel academic and I'm like, but there's like, you know, the rubber hits the road <laughs> in certain ways as we start to really work with communities and take action and really change the way that we interact. So it isn't just an academic conversation.
1: And I like in your book, you note know, too, how it's, um... It's arrogant to think that we know what the community wants. And um, in your interview with uh, Nina Simon, who you mentioned earlier, um, she has this point about, or you you included as kind of in your bullet points at the beginning of the interview about takeaways. And it's thinking of audience members or visitors as collaborators in the work that we do within museums. So I wonder if you could say more maybe about Um, examples of collaboration going well or other things maybe for people in museums or nonprofits um, thinking about engaging the community as co-collaborators.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, you know, Nina Simon has been so, you know, such a, such a pivotal thinker. And so it meant so many people, I think, you know, in terms of really understanding how to uh, collaborate with communities, partner with communities, and, and really change the way museum practice is, you know, um, orienting our work with community. So I think that's, <clears throat> you know, it certainly gets a lot of credit for that. There's so many different thinkers out there and and people practicing in museums that have done that. Um, and, you know, in in my book, I sort of write this ex- expression that I usually bring up over and over again, this idea that our community knows more than we do. And And, you know, by we, I'm thinking, you know, like, the traditional structure of a museum, this idea that like, you know, oh, we have all these, you know, smart people that work for the museum. Certainly we know, like you said, it's a little arrogant to think that, but like certainly we know more. So we'll do all the content, we'll create all the exhibitions and then we'll make sure people come and buy tickets and, you know, enter the door and are enriched by them. And I think, again, it's thinking about like, what can we create with, our communities what can we yeah can we listen more can we understand where you know where the power and and sort of expertise and lived experience is within our local communities and bring that into exhibitions bring that into you know collection galleries bring that into like what what do we want to be creating projects about um and i think that can be really generative and it's been tricky because it just challenges the sort of status quo approach to museums that you know we know there's authority there's curatorial expertise you know one one museum uh, person that i worked with in a workshop said like you know well if all this is true then what do we have curators for and i was like well do no, I, I don't i didn't say get rid of <laughs> curators it's just Let's change our mindset, right? Curators are amazingly, you know, they, they can have such a great role in, in museums and I don't think we should need to get rid of them. But like, what if, as we continue to think about curatorial practice, like there are some museums, um, like for in terms of examples, the Five Oaks Museum, which is actually based here in the Portland area, um, has a community curator program, so when they decide, you know, exhibitions and things, they will work with community members who have experience in those areas, like lived experience. And you know, if they're working on an exhibition about a specific indigenous community, they're finding a curator from within that community. Or if they're doing an exhibition on, you know, the the Hawaiian diaspora in the Pacific Northwest, like do you already have a curator on staff that has the experience in that? Like, no. So let's find someone. So they have, you know, a community curator program. Um, One of the other museums I just, just it's helpful to mention examples because it feels less less scary if you know, like,
0: you know, so many museums
2: are doing this. Um, One other museum that I always talk about, because they just do a lot of this community centered work so well is the Smithsonian Anacostia museum, which is in Washington, D.C. Incredible staff. Leadership, but these connections—long-time connections and sustained relationships and partnerships with their neighborhood um, and and with you know local specific you know place-based communities there—and um, being able to build exhibitions where community members write content, where they're contributing to it, where exhibitions are about issues that are relevant to the neighborhood, um, you know, whether it's about, you know, food issues, food scarcity, you know, and, and they actually provided a, a food fridge program outside their museum during the pandemic, in the beginning of the pandemic, because You know, people had were having trouble finding meals and getting food. You know, public schools closed. It gets really hard to, you know, make sure everyone has the meals they need. And so here is a museum that's providing hundreds of free meals um, to the community. So I think there's just so many examples, and I I I could go on. I won't. (laughs) Uh, So many examples of institutions that have really taken this up. Um, and are doing incredible work, really thinking about how we can collaborate with visitors and community members to just to be better institutions and to really center content and and what matters most for museums around you know those individuals.
1: I um I came across a great example too. I was in um, the Museum of Northern Arizona in Flagstaff, and one of their exhibits was instead of a uh, curatorial essay, it was just a video of different members from different tribes who had come together to co-curate a show. Um, And it was so wonderful. They had a bench. You could watch the video and hear each of their introductions. And it just... And their voices as you travel through the space were still there as other people were coming in to watch it. And so it was just a really neat example. And like you said, you hear these things and curators like, but I have an essay, I'm a scholar. And then I think sometimes it's just like, oh, these other things are possible. And it's really impoverished to have to feel like the expert in all of it that's just kind of an unreasonable expectation to feel like you always have to be the expert um as a museum staff
2: yeah yeah I mean and that just shows that like I think you know I think um as hard as it is sometimes to be like optimistic I think it's just what we're seeing is like this what you're talking about like you know we're seeing these types of changes happening kind of all over the place and, and is everybody getting it right all the time no no but we're, we're learning and we're on a journey um and i think you know curators are rethinking the work they're doing educators you know don't have it all right all the time they're rethinking the work that they're doing um, i think we're seeing you know changes in leadership and um and the field and so i think it's just you know good to continue to have examples like that where we know like you know these really good things are happening you know we're changing the way that museum work is happening and there's a real future here. There's a, you know, a really bright, you know, I think awesome future that we're headed towards.
1: Yes. Uh, it's across the board. It's not just curators. I know we say curators yeah. a lot, but yeah, it really but... is across the board. <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> um, so you have this uh, really important chapter on interrupting white dominant culture in museums. And this is something, um, I'm a white person, you're a white person, we absolutely have to interrogate our whiteness and be very mindful of um, systems of oppression and how we how we participate in those Um, so I wondered if you can talk about your own not journey but necessarily just how you have faced being a white male um, in an educational role in a museum setting what that work has looked like for you
2: yeah. I mean, I think that's, it's obviously like a long conversation, right? There could be a, I mean, there, there should be a whole other podcast with a whole, Absolutely. you know, a whole bunch of other people that are just incredible thinkers in these areas and that have influenced and taught me a lot. Like, I think that's one thing is just recognizing that, you know, as a white male, certainly like I have a lot to learn and, you know, as a, not just white male, able-bodied, you know, cisgendered, so many, you know, aspects of my identity, um, means that like, you know, I, have had a lot to learn and, um, and I think that's really important because I don't think everyone always, you know, comes at it from that perspective. Um, and, and I think another key thing has been to learn, like, what does it mean to sort of get out of the way? Um, you know, there have been, um, you know, curators I've worked with over the years, where it's like, you know, look, like to make this, to make some of these things happen that we've talked about in terms of, you know, community-centered, you know, really bring prioritizing those relationships and bringing, you know, indigenous communities or communities of color into the museum in more powerful ways. Um, it means stepping aside, you know, it means decentering you know, some of my ideas, or some of the things that, you know, I thought I was going to be doing with this project, or, um, and really listening, um, and being able to trust, you know, people that, you know, don't, museums haven't trusted a lot of communities and a lot of different groups and people over the time, there's been a lot of exclusionary practices, a lot of discrimination. And so I think it is to change a lot of those things, right, we've got to start somewhere. Um, And so I think there's just a lot of steps, there's a lot of steps that institutions have taken. Um, and I think that's good. And certainly since, you know, uh, the last nine, 10 years, I think there's been a lot of work um, in institutions along these lines. Um, and there's still tons more to do, like tons more to do. just because you, <laughs> you know, there's, there's still so many institutions that you know, just because you put Black Lives Matter on your website doesn't mean you've actually done anything. It's about, you know, it's not about necessarily saying those words, although I think that's an important part of it, um, but it's about being those words. Um, how can you really, you know, you can have a land acknowledgement because that got really, that's gotten really popular is to make sure we've got the text on our website. and We've got a, you know, a text thing. When people come to the museum, there's a land acknowledgement. But what does that mean to like live that and to really acknowledge Indigenous people and partner and really understand? understand What it is to have the collections that you have, and the impact and the harm that that can have. So I think there's really deep practices and deep radical changes that need to be happening. um, You know, more more so, I think, than just the surface statements, the PR statements, and things like that. And and I think we see that happening in you know a lot of institutions. Um, And like I said, there's a lot more work to do in that area. So (laughs) so maybe that's kind of a a brief way to sort of um, answer your question without you know having you know maybe hours hours to sort of dig deeper into these really important topics.
1: Absolutely, and you say, you know, it has to go beyond the surface level. And, and I think this is where like really checking in, having conversations with your staff, because it it can be difficult, it can be messy in some ways uh, to face these things. So I wonder like in your consulting and your workshops with people, um, it seems like building that kind of framework of trust by checking in and kind of having this, these human connections, It may help people really crack through those surface statements and maybe reflect on how they can be part of that change.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, often what I'm finding is that when people are focusing on those types of things, you're talking about these sort of human centered practices, uh, really thinking about empathy. Um, thinking about care, I think that's a huge thing. There are some really amazing people in the field right now that are focusing in on, you know, kind of care in curatorial practice, um, <clears throat> you know, and in museum practice at large. I think that's so important as well. Um, yeah. And, and so I think if you think about care, human centered practices, if you think about relationships um, and communities, you are going to be you know, engaging in more equitable practices. Um, and you're going to be thinking a lot more about, you know, how can I be anti-racist? How can I be, you know, equitable? What, what does inclusion look like here? Even though those, you know, all these words are just getting used a lot, right? Just like community. Um, so it is hard to sort of figure out like, what word do we use now to really mean what we want it to mean? And that's getting harder and harder the more, you know, some of these words get used over and over and over again, and maybe then need to be, you know, questioned in terms of their meaning. But, um, but I think underneath it all is just this, you know, sort of base level human practice that if we all engage with that, I think we're going in the right direction.
1: And since you mentioned um, care, I'd like to go ahead and turn to sort of where you end the book and your last chapter, your last chapters are on self-care and love. And, you know, Love, that's a bold way to end, right? So how Mm -hmm. did you, why did you end there? And of course it's not an ending, right? It's the beginning of probably the current things you're working on and, and informing your next step. So love, let's talk about it.
2: Yeah, well, so that chat, that whole thing was written during the pandemic, I mean, it's just, you know, like everyone's just going through all these emotional journeys and and I was too. And I think I'm just thinking like, you know, what matters most? I mean, that's a question I think we all need to ask ourselves if we haven't yet, you know, like what matters most, not what matters most to my job or what matters most in this, you know, grant I'm applying for, but like deep down inside, what are these personal deep core values driving what we're doing? <clears throat> um, and I think for me, like that's, that's one of these like really deep, human values that i think i was like you know questioning myself like what if what if something like love was that value that we you know, that sort of guided radical change in museums or in nonprofits. Like what would, you know, the and the pandemic sort of motivated a lot of more heightened thinking about that. Like what would it look like if that was the value we used when, you know, when staff is being furloughed or when, you know, getting laid off? And are we caring for people? Are we are we practicing love? Or are we making decisions for other reasons, um, you know, are we trying to, you know, make sure our endowment doesn't go down? Or you know, are we trying to, you know, make donors happy? Or, you know, like, what is at the core center of the changes we're making in museums? And, and so I wrote that chapter. And I think, you know, gosh, now I look back at it. And like, that is the thing. That like I look to, I think when I like you know go back to sections of my own book, you know, in terms of what has the most impact on on me, my life, you know, my connections with you know family, community, friends, like it's it's things like love, I think, that drive that. Um, and I think there's, um, I think like in my own practice now, when I consult with individuals or um, institutions or do workshops on change in, in museums and in nonprofits, um, I I really spend a lot of time focusing on relationships. Um, because I think it comes out of that idea of like love being at the core of everything. Um, and Adrian Marie Brown, who's this like amazing healer, change maker, <laughs> author. Um, if people haven't, haven't read Adrian Marie Brown stuff or listen to her podcasts, like go do it right now. Cause it's powerful, powerful stuff. Um, but one of my favorite quotes from, from Adrian Marie Brown is relationships are everything. And like, if, you know, that's another thing, that should be our mantra. Like, what if everything focused back in on that? What would museums look like in 10 years if that guided our decisions, you know? And I think that's, you know, I don't know. I think, I think I'm think i interested in continuing to explore that and continuing to help point people down that path because I think there's a lot, a lot of change that needs to happen, but there's a lot of benefit that can come out of museums if we start to focus on that.
1: I guess as we wrap up, I would love to hear about um, how listeners can stay in touch with your work. I know you have this excellent newsletter that I've recently become a subscriber to. Um, so, how can we we continue to follow your work?
2: Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I would say, so you're talking about Agents of Change, which is a Substack yes. newsletter. I don't, newsletter is kind of a funny word for it, but <laughs> um, but we're kind of growing a community online through Agents of Change. And I think if you just go to agentsofchange.substack.com, you can subscribe for free and like, you know, get emails and and become part of that. Um uh, I also invite people to follow me on, I don't know, with Twitter and stuff these days, I'm not sure if that's a platform I'm yeah, even going to be using much. I but, know. <laughs> but Instagram is one that I use a lot. I've always really appreciated it. If you follow me on at 27 on Instagram, you're also going to get photos of the Pacific Northwest because I love being in the outdoors um, and you're going to get pictures of my trail running because I'm an avid trail runner out there. So as long as you're okay with that, <laughs> um, we can stay connected that way um, or on LinkedIn, but yeah, I think, you know, uh, people are, you know, just reach out to me if anyone, you know, I'm always willing to, you know, connect with people and, and find out how I can support people out there too, that are, that are kind of interested in making some of these changes, but, you know, sometimes it's hard to get started and we feel like, institutions or the system is kind of not leaning in this direction, right? So many people feel alone when it comes to making change happen. Um, and I feel like one of the things that I enjoy doing right now is, you know, making sure that like, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a community out there um, and, and we're all sort of working together to make this change happen and build a better future whether it's in museums and nonprofits or you know a lot of the work that that I'm doing with um, my partner Brenna in the outdoors and then you know place-based learning and environmental education look we're building a better future together so like let's do this
1: mm-hmm. and super nature adventures also has an instagram
2: yes <laughs> yeah. so
1: you can see those you can see those awesome illustrations that we were talking about Um Was there anything else that you're you're working on or excited about for this new year?
2: Well, I mean, so with... with um, You're doing a well, lot. You our, kind
1: of covered some of those yeah. things. <laughs> <but> I, <did. laughs>
2: um, I mean, you know, some of the some of the sort of, you know, place-based learning projects that I'm just really excited about. We're, we're doing a school partnership with a school in California right now, which is so cool. We're, I get to, like, you know, teach with third graders, um, you know, through virtual classroom workshops and things like that. I just love that because when I started as a museum educator, I was leading school tours and teaching, you know, elementary school kids in the gallery. So I love staying connected with teaching. Um, And then we were doing an urban birding project with a group in New York. Um, So we get to really think about like the most urban parks and how people can connect with nature in those areas. Um, And um, working with Indigenous-centered organizations and really thinking about place and learning and Indigenous land and how we can make sure that Indigenous voices, you know, really come to the center of the ways that we're interacting with, with you know, sites. Like, we're working with Confluence, which is uh, based here in the Portland area and um, the Pacific Northwest, uh, centered around um, significant sites on the Columbia River here. So, yeah, and, just awesome things. I'm so fortunate and grateful I get to do so many cool projects um, and have really appreciated uh, being here with you and and having this time to sort of talk more about my book and and some of the stuff I'm um, involved with nowadays
1: wonderful I'm really grateful for your time as well and um, I absolutely encourage our listeners to check this book out it's wonderful beyond the museum world as well I know we've talked a lot about being museum worker but I think it's applicable for anyone who's thinking about their place in their community um and so yes definitely a treat and uh, thank you I hope we have a great uh, spring as we move in that direction um, and, I, and I look forward to staying in touch with your work thank you mike
2: Awesome. Thanks.